and welcome to the latest episode of Betfair's Wade In podcast. This is your go-to weekly podcast, but you already know that by now. It's where we look back at the racing from the last seven days and we cover all the big news stories too. And it's going to be about a 50-50 show, I'd say, today because there is plenty to get to on both sides of that coin. Obviously, we've got York to reflect on, good racing in Ireland as well this weekend, and plenty of news stories, nothing dramatic, but plenty of little things bubbling along. So, jam-packed show. TC, how was your weekend? Very boring, actually. I'm getting old. Um, didn't have a drink, didn't go out, and I'm babysitting for my grandson tonight. So, yeah, I'm officially dead. <laughs> officially oh, old. Although one thing did catch my eye, it wound me up a little bit, actually. I mean, I, I can get, you know, Nick, like Lydia and Rishi and... And Lee Mott said, being on all these BHA panels. But I found out that Ollie Bell is an ambassador for a gin company. I mean, that really wound me up. What is all that? Gin company? Yeah. <laughs> sure. So, sure. Like, Nicholas Gin. He said he's a brand ambassador. <laughs> oh, gin, sorry. I thought you said jeans. And I go, jeans. Oh, okay. <laughs> gin is fine, too. He's a very solid pair of hands. He's a good-looking young fellow as well. I feel like if I was in the branding game, he, he, he's well-spoken. He's a bottle of lager-type character. He's not a proper kind of like... <laughs> off a pint uh, of you have to suspend your disbelief when it comes to advertising, Tony. Come on, then. Yeah, to be fair, two points here. I like Kevin to start with. I thought you said jeans, as in the things you put on your legs. So he's I'm, got he's got skinny legs, so he could do the skinny jeans. Yeah, uh, I'm glad it's <laughs> and, and obviously, that. And, and obviously his other jeans have stood him in stead because he's only got the job because of his old man. Obviously, <laughs> that's the other spelling of jeans. See, that is factually incorrect. But also, I would like to point out that I actually I um am not far behind Ollie in the gin ambassador role because I recently did a photo shoot. To they asked me to sit in the sun and sit gin they took a load of photos for their brand and i got paid in a lot of gin so i'm not far behind ollie in that sorry oh, tc okay. <laughs> your face and you're on a bha panel as well oh. <laughs> I, am. I am i'm the unique double <laughs> um you and ollie should hook up be one long freebie one big freebie <laughs> living on the gravy train me and ollie bell together what a sight anyway uh kevin blake you were at nace weren't you? yesterday royal ascot trials day how was that oh hello how did you know i was at nace because you, you told us that you were at nace did I? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I it was going to be something more interesting than that. Sorry, I was. No, yeah, no. lovely sunny day at Nace. Um, nice to see you, to see you, Nace, as they like to say. Um, it, it was absolutely fantastic. Um, geez, they do a good job there. Um, great crowd there. Great old buzz. Um, great facility. Great racing. Yeah. The only, the only downside was I, I didn't see Brendan Duke, who I assumed would be there, but um, had a great day. Brendan, why were you not at Nace? Explain yourself. No, no, I wasn't. They said, I, I, I oh. don't know ah. how we how we missed one another, but it, uh, the, the, there absolutely was a great crowd. And I can't add add any anything more to that. Um, it, the 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 sun shone. The only snag was I backed a horse to get out in the last, and unfortunately the horse couldn't get out at the crucial stage, so I was out of pocket. But we can't measure everything in pounds and pennies, Vanessa. Uh, my 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 soul soars after a nice day in Nays. We have Desert Crown coming out on Thursday, and three days of the Curra to look forward to. My cup runneth over. 
<laughs> um, I think I've told you before, but my favourite NACE memory is the time that the first time I went there, I was still drinking in that little bar by the paddock. And uh, well after the last, and I was with a racing person and the guys behind the bar finished off cleaning their little glasses with the towel, put the last glass down and said, look, lads, just hit the lights and shut the door on your way out. And they left me there <laughs> and we just hit the lights and shut the door on our way out. So, I, so somewhere, was- somewhere Barry Orr is, is just is just curdling. With the length of this intro, because uh, yeah, oh, yeah, Barry's yeah, not yeah. Barry's not in charge today, so we have our substitute teacher Kieran in. So uh, we're yeah. running wild. There's nothing <laughs> that's like- a kind of gin ambassador story, story that I want, you know. Yeah, there's nothing like having a substitute teacher in that you can just completely run riot with. But anyway, should we? Since we're talking about Nace, should we kick off with Nace, boys? Let's yes. do that. River Tiber, River Tiber wins the first at Nace. Now two from two. Uh, maybe not as an impressive style as people want him to win him, but he is sort of impressive over the line. Surely Royal Ascot and a step up in trip is now on his agenda. Kev, what did you make of him? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, looks the Coventry horse, doesn't he? Unless something yeah. happens and something big happens in, in the Marble Hill this weekend at the Curra. Um, and look, this is a this is a little um, how do you call it, a tactic that that I think Aidan O'Brien has used in more recent years with his Coventry horse. Like he's happy to drop them back to five, um, almost with the intention of getting them off the bridle and teaching them as much as possible. Interesting. Because uh, Royal Ascot, like it, it is tough on two-year-olds. You know, you're up against the English horses who, um, by and large, generalization time will be a little bit more hardened by the time we get to the Coventry. And I think sometimes there have been occasions in the past when, when very good Horses from Valley Doyle have been beaten in the likes of the Coventry um, through a lack of know-how at that early stage. So I think that was the main goal with River Tiber. He wouldn't have impressed people nearly as much as he did on debut. But look, he, he came off the bridle. He learned quite a bit about racing and ultimately was very good inside the final furlong. So uh, back up to a stiff six furlongs, Coventry stakes. Um, he's going to be, um, I, I'm, I'm sure he's already the quite short anti-post favourite, but um, he's going to be a leading contender for sure Brendan you've got Ooh, a wry yeah. little smile on your face take it away well, well I'm, I'm, I'm sure Aidan was, was delighted for all the, the, the reasons Kevin said and he probably didn't have one eye on Ripon but he should have had uh, Tony will take that up there was a, there was another savage performance put up by a two year old in, in, in Sunday in, in an unexpected place but um, it, it, it'll get a mention yeah uh, River Tiger was good I'll just give a quick mention to Tourist who has travelled notably well in both of his races and I was talking to a stockman who stood around the parade ring and I'm surprised the chair has him out at this stage because he's quite weak of his hocks and that's not something I would notice because I don't look at horses from the knees down as we learned uh, but that might be something to bear in mind that Taurus definitely has an engine and as he strengthens up could make plenty of progress okay well the two-year-old that Brendan has referred to at Ripon is a sadner for the George Bowie team um, mighty impressive performance on debut at a track that's notoriously tricky and TC I know you're very keen to give him a mention how 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 taken were you and how do you compare him to a horse like River Tiber or some of the other two-year-olds we've seen well, so far this season I'll give you a I'll give you a line here. I mean, this, at the current sports book prices, nine to four River Tiber and seven to two a Sadna. Mm-hmm. They so the, they're effectively go for the commentary. They're effectively going the uh, we saw the, a slight odds on. We saw the commentary winner on Sunday. 
So that's kind of like how impressed the market was by both of those. Now, uh, Asadna is fascinating because on, on, on a few levels, not least because how a horse that good went off at four to one at Ripon is it's a stuff of mystery. But um, Timeform have just come out just before we recorded this at 12.30. Timeform have just come out and said, Asadna recorded the second highest uh, best speed figure since 2010 going into Royal Jesus Ascot. Christ. And the first and the and, and the only one above it was Caravaggio, who went on to win the Coventry by over two lengths in 2016. Now Asadna was and, and this he did this on debut. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. obviously the George Murray horse, he's a 160 grand breeze up horse. I think he was only bought in April. So and he obviously wasn't, you know, pulling up trees. Uh, at home to start at that, uh, uh, that uh, start at that price at that trap, but the time form rating is massive. I mean, the, the, the speed figure is just off the charts. Um, so much so that he was nine and eight to one this morning. Uh, and then you Taylor got involved uh, first thing on Monday morning, tipped him up at nines and eights. And he's like you said, the sportsbook are taking evasive action at seven to two. He's crashing everywhere. And I imagine it'll, when, once people read that time form assessment, it will go down there. So even at the moment, we've got a massive matchup. River Tiber guaranteed improver stepping up to six against a horse who's shown a monster speed figure already. So it's odds on one of those two wins of country, if you believe uh, if you believe that. Tasty. Love it. Tasty two-year-old division. Uh, let's talk about the Derby. Now, we spoke about it on the show last week, didn't we, TC, in regards to the Derby being you know, a pretty wide open contest. I think that was last week's discussion. And we were waiting yeah. for something in the Dante to come along. Maybe not the horse we expected, obviously with the Foxes winning is now eight to one for the Epsom Derby from twenties is on the improve massive week for Churchill ladies church. We can discuss later as well for the sire, but it felt like passenger among others were unlucky and behind. How did the Dante affect the market for the Derby TC? Just a very confused picture, isn't it? I mean, the obvious one, the obvious one that most people wanted to take out of the race, not me personally, was passenger. But obviously, he he needs to be supplemented if he's going there. So maybe hold fire that. I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, when he when when they're all in a heap, as as they were, and I think about at least three of them traded odds on in running. So, and it was a very close finish. My immediate impression was that there were no really strong stairs in the race. Um, and you, you, you'd three had no body better than me. I mean, you, you already touched on Churchill. We've got Ulysses in there. You've got Hearts Cry in there. None of them are really kind of like powering home to my eye, uh, not least Passenger, who I think might be best at a mile too. Everyone's making a lot of play about, oh, he, had, he was travelling well in behind. But I was expecting a lot more uh, than, than when he when he got the run there. I mean, obviously, he probably might have not been ideally positioned on the track. He, Drifted a little bit left late on when he, he weakened a little bit. So my immediate impression was very muddling race. If you take one out of it, you can take five out of it. And I didn't think anything in that race was crying out to a step up to a mile four. So I, I personally wouldn't be taking anything out of that race as regards to the derby. Yeah, it's interesting with the passenger angle, Brenda. I'll come to you next with this. I actually saw the Twitter sort of reaction, which I don't like to hang your hat on, but I did see that before I saw the race just because watched it when I got back. And I was expecting, like Brendan said, uh, sorry, like TC said, when the gap did open up for Passenger, given what I'd seen the reaction on Twitter, I was expecting him to at least inject some sort of staying power slash speed 
And yes, of course, he did sort of plug on, but it, I don't know, it wasn't quite what I was expecting from him when it did open up, which is obviously TC's takeaway too. How did well, okay. you assess? Oh, you're, you're, you're going to argue against me. Go on. Well, I thought he finished with plenty of run, running left. I thought this was a massive effort, and I would give a shout-out to poor Richard Kingscott, who was on self-flagellating after thinking about the ride. I thought it was a really good ride because the horse was in danger of getting away from him the first two furlongs. He was really keen and he managed to get him settled in behind one horse and then after another couple of furlongs, let another horse come across him and he did get him to settle in the end and the horse would have learned so much. I saw someone on Twitter said, oh, Stout's going to have a word with him. I'd say he did have a word with him and said, very well done. Now, the snag is because he was just, it was just unfortunate. He went for a gap and Atsini took his lane and it was not within his right to do for it. and then another gap was going to come and Oshin Murphy took that now Oshin Murphy was within his rights a very clever ride by Murphy but I, I thought Passenger definitely shaped like the best horse in the race a big step up from his debut performance he's going to have learned so much from what was a canny ride that ultimately did, didn't work out uh, but I don't think he'll run in the derby because I think Stout will look at this and he'd say well Desert Crown won it last year but Desert Crown I mean, absolute superstar for a start, but also a more straightforward horse than, than Passenger, settled beautifully in his races. And there was an extra week last year. So now looking at the bet now, he's about um, eight, eight to one on the exchanges, but for very little money. So I wouldn't base too much on that. I'd say he'll look at this and he'll say, OK, it was only the second run of his life. He stepped up massively. We have a proper horse to go to war with here. I'll run him in the Hampton Court and think about the Irish Derby. That's the way I'd be thinking at the moment. A shout out to White Birch as well, who uh, definitely proved ground versatility. It's just these real problems with the gates, doesn't he? He missed the break in Leopardstown. He missed the break in York. He actually did break pretty well when uh, winning his maiden in Dundalk. But even then, he was awkward coming out of the gate. So he has issues at the stalls. And that would be a big problem in the Derby if you if he ended up in a poor track position. So you'd worry, you'd worry about him. The Fox is a hardy horse again. Lovely, as you mentioned, to see a Churchill. But just to uh, briefly finish, I'm very much coming around to Spreewell, another Churchill. Yeah. Uh, I'm just having a look today. I mean, military orders are a worthy fab, but Spreewell's 10 to 1. And you look at his pedigrees by Churchill, so that would encourage you uh, towards better ground. And the dam was a very ground versatile sort. He had form on soft now, but you won an EP Taylor on fast ground in Canada. So, 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 so that would be uh, a, a very encouraging. Now, I've sort of come, I, I've done a, a 180 on Spreewell. I didn't think that nice form was worth toffee, but I really rate up and under as a yardstick. White Birch gave the form a good lift in the Dante, albeit it's, it's a result, as, as you and Tony have mentioned, you can take it various ways. But I, I, And Spreewell's quite a good mover as well. That's worth noting. He does point his toe. So I think well, he's evidently very effective on heavy ground. I think there's a very good chance that he'll handle better ground and I think he's been slightly underestimated in the market Okay, a summary then from Brendan of the Derby market final question to you Kev because it's the one horse that was discussed at the weekend that we didn't obviously see at the weekend but remains the enigma in here really, August Rodin there's this confusion, not confusion but there's like people on each side of the fence you've got those that really are committed to him, believe he's a superstar and that the Guineas was just a blip and others who think he's overhyped. We know Aidan can be very confident about his horses, but the chat about this horse is relentlessly strong for the Derby. You know Aidan well. How good a horse do you think they have on their hands with August Rodin? Good luck. I think a huge amount of them, but look, if... 
you have to be objective in these things. And look, derbies are won on, on three-year-old form, not two-year-old form. And we've seen him once and, and he, he completely blobbed, albeit with a bit of an excuse. But it would just be very difficult to get involved with those odds. Like if it happens, you bow down to the man, <laughs> you know, because it would be some unprecedented training feat to get one back from such a poor run to win a derby. But at those odds now, you, you have to just watch him and wish them the best of luck, don't you? Um, like we've seen a great amount of development in the market um, just to, to supplement what, what the lads were saying like um, the Foxes looks to have a great set of tools for the Derby um, like he looks he looked pacey at 10 furlongs there like he has a bit of a party trick there that he kind of veers off to his right when he gets near the front he's done it the last twice now which isn't ideal um, but like he's a, he's a beautiful moving horse that should handle the track just fine I'd say um, but Spreewell uh, yeah, I, I think Spreewell is really interesting. Like like, um, like Brendan says, like he's a good moving horse. Like you look at his pedigree, you'd be amazed if he didn't handle better ground. And I, I think the days of like rattling fast ground in the Derby are gone. You know, so I, I think he's going to be fine on the ground and that form stands up. White Birch gave it a right old nudge in the Dante. Like he he could be the one to take out of Dante. He came from further back than, than the other two, the Foxes and Passenger. Um, like he will stay well. I know like he's he's from a cheaply parked family and there's loads of speed in it, but Ulysses seems to be a, a good, strong um influence for stamina. Um so I wouldn't be going into the Derby worried about his stamina. And um, you know, look, the the, the stalls are an issue, but You'd, you'd nearly rather be a little bit for, a little bit too far back than a little bit too close in most derbies. So it might not, you know, long old straight, etc. They usually can be relied on to go a good gallop. Um, so yeah, look, John Murphy with a derby contender, Jesse Harrington for 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 with a derby contender. It um it looks wide open. Like we've been speculating for a couple of years now, you know, as the Galileo era winds down a little bit, that the middle distance division is about to go through like its most interesting and competitive. Um, phase for for well over a decade, and we're seeing it. Like, look at the look at the array of people stuck in this with with, with real chances. Like, it's seen yeah. up to. I know it's not it's not one of those derbies with a standout one. You'd love one, you know. If Augusta Rodan had won the the Guineas, for example, you know, it'd be a very one sided market. But this this is a proper wide open derby, um, and Jack, yeah, I can't wait to see it. Not long to wait. Okay, well, we've covered the derby picture. Then should we rattle onto the Oaks because that seems like the most natural step next on this show. We saw Warm Heart win the listed Newbury 10 furlong contest. A good day for Aidan O'Brien at Newbury. is now 10 to 1 from 25s for the Epsom Oaks. But of course, um, the same team has the favourite in Save the Last Dance. But we also saw Soul Sister spring a bit of a surprise in the Moosadora um, at 18 to 1 for the Gosden Detori access. And in the process, beating infinite cosmos who obviously disappointed and a bit like passenger probably a frustrating york i think it's fair to say for the sir michael stout team with his oaks and derby chances so to summarize i've kind of thrown them all into one heap tc who's mm. your big takeaway from this weekend in regards to the oaks well i don't mean the warm heart but form line is is, is worth anything really uh, you had Horses rated in the 80s and 70s not being too far. Uh, I doubt they'll go there. They think they've got the winner with Save the Last Dance. Um, but what Soul Sister did inject into it was some some really meaningful opposition. She was put in at top price fives afterwards. 
Uh, she's been backed ever since. I mean, the sports book now go five to four, save the last dance against three to one soul sister. And it's just going to be a fascinating kind of like uh, clash of styles. You've got the, you've got the grinder, save the last dance who the further he went at Chester, uh, the more she won by, you know, obviously everyone's, everyone's been well documented about her finishing splits quicker than the sprinters on the card. Uh, I spoke to Ryan briefly about it uh, last week. And he said it was unbelievable. He said she just kept kept on getting stronger and stronger and stronger as the race went on. Soul Sister won a very slowly run stop start Musadora. But again, these sectional boys were actually raving about her finishing three furlong split. Um, and for a horse that made her debut, made seasonal debut over seven furlongs uh, at Newbury, uh, she's obviously got a, a ton of speed. So yeah, it'd be a fascinating class. I mean, obviously, Ryan's going to try and make it a test of stamina at Epsom. Soul Sister's going to try and sit on her tail and, and out-sprinter. Um, I Very boringly, I'd probably go with a favourite. Would I back her at 5-4? to four? No, but Soul Sister is a serious, serious candidate. It's just whether or not she stays as well as a favourite, which I doubt. Other than the obvious, Brendan, in regards to those horses that I've mentioned, was there anything else from those Phillies races to take out in regards to a classic? Um, not, not, not particularly. I maybe wouldn't be as dismissive of Tony on on that warm heart form. I quite like that blue stocking. I thought I thought she shaped very well. Again, Russell Ryan. I mean, I'm being very hipster at the moment, saying, "Oh, the second and third were the best horse in the race." But, but I thought Russell Ryan, he, she was very keen on debut that blue stocking, so he had to get her to settle, and she she gave up an experience edge to the to the winner as well, who's a Galileo ran through walls, was was tough out, and I would I would suspect you will see Warm Heart in the Oaks because I mean, Aiden Stroke Kumar they're perfectly happy to carpet bomb it, aren't they? I mean, it's a finish race. It's no big deal. They can only have one foul. So just, just run them. Just run them. There we go. Just run them. Um, Kev, let's cover Sounds of Heaven whilst we're in this division. She's now 12 to 1 from 50s for the Coronation Stakes. Sprung another bit of a surprise in the listed mile race at York for the team Harrington, who's had an excellent start to the year. Um well-bred individual, well-entered. She's got, obviously, an Irish 1,000 guineas entry. Don't expect to see her there, but she's got a Ribblesdale entry and, obviously, the coronation as well as the Irish Oaks. Uh, if she's to win a Group 2 or a Group 1, what Group 2 or Group 1 might it be? Oh, I'm not sure which way they'll go now, but, gee, she's a lovely filly. Um, like, she'd tick all the boxes, really. Like, she's by the right sire, Kingman, like, beautiful female family. Um, like uh, goes back to Hy- um, Dam as a full sister to Hydrangea. Um, beautiful way go and mover and good and hardy because she had to be good and hardy here. Like it looked like, um, she was probably going to get nipped and she she fought away and then got the better of Queen for you by a short head. Um, SP was was mental. I thought 14 to 1. Um, not after timing, thought as much. I thought I expected a shorten. And when we did race and only better the previous week, but maybe that speaks for the the regard that the the ones at the front of the market were held in that they held so strong and that she didn't have too many takers. But lovely filly, I wouldn't mind her going up and trip. I'd say, um, like the female side of her pedigree will give her a chance to stay ten certainly. Um, where do you go? Tricky one, tricky one. But she will have options. She's got loads of options. Um, like she. I wouldn't be surprised with her connections now if they're kind of working back from the pretty poly at the Curra, maybe group one over 10 furlongs. 
But yeah, looking forward to seeing her again now. Um, look, she has a way to go to win a group one, clearly. Um, but all the all the, the boxes are ticked there and it'll be fascinating to see how far she can drive on. Okay. Plenty to like about her. Uh, let's move on to the older horses, guys, and we will kick off with the Milers because, of course, the lock-ins was the big group one on the day on Saturday at Newbury, and it was won by Modern Games, who's now two to one fab for the Queen Anne from sixes. Um, the missing in spiral, missing in action from the lock-in is your three to one second favourite there. There was quite a few disappointments in behind him, maybe none more so than Laurel, but ultimately he's really carving out sort of the title of leading older miler now, Brendan. Is that fair to say in a division that is a bit, is it weak underneath him? I don't know if that's the word, but there's plenty in there that are at a similar level, I feel. Yeah, well, fair enough. I, I, I think Inspiral on her, on her day is 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 a savage filly, but uh, she 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 can be a touch inconsistent for for a Group One performer. And you you couldn't say that about Modern Games, could you? I mean, he's he's just rock solid. He's won two uh, two Breeders' Cups. He won won a French Guineas. He's now won a Lockinch. The way he dug in for pressure. I mean, he was he was off the bridle fully two and a half furlongs down. And he's just got such such a will a will to win. Chindit, I mean, Chindit, Chindit ran well in the last in, in in the Lockins last year um, up, up against the superstar. In fairness, as you mentioned, there's no superstars in the division this year. You think that stiff finish at Ascot's going to be right up the street? And I I'd, I'd say he's a worthy fab, but you would just have in the back of your mind if the if the real inspiral shows up. I think he might struggle to con- concede a, uh, just, a sex allowance to her. Just reading between the lines, I mean. Obviously, Inspire was the anti-post favourite of the lock-inch and obviously she didn't show up. And just reading a, a statement from Chiefly Park, it's just like, she's OK, but, you know, had a cold spring and we'll see about yeah. Royal Ascot. I mean, it didn't, didn't, it didn't strike me as we're going to go to Royal Ascot in A1. Well, it was the, it was the same last year, though. I was just and about to say, this is Rinse from, yeah, this yeah. is yeah. Rinse repeat yeah. from 12 months ago with her. She obviously, she obviously take some coming to hand basically she's obviously not there right away because this is definitely we've been here before with her and that's what I don't like about her she's clearly got loads of ability but that lack of consistency at group one level is is an unattractive thing for me Uh, yeah that's fair here's a question for you obviously the big news line out of it was was Chindit biting or scratching William Buick yeah can a horse get disqualified for biting, what if what if he what if he went over and properly bit Buick when he wasn't a million miles away, and put him off his game so much that he actually lost the race? I know. Yeah. I know. I mean, it, I'd say it probably comes under the interference rules, technically, doesn't it? Well, if he took a real chunk out of Buick, Buick went like that, got lost all balance, lost the race. I mean, I I, I might have missed it, but. It would seem an obvious. If I was there, I would I would have just asked a question or TV writing or whatever or, of the stewards. Just actually, if that had been more severe and it would have cost Buick the race, come on balance, you know, in a very tight finish. Mm. Can a horse lose a race because a horse uh, bit the other horse or and or jockey? Yeah, I'd be, I'd be pretty confident that they could, um, because when you think of the the wording of the interference rules you know if, if whatever the horse does uh, be it cause interference or in this case bite the opposition if they have improved their position as a result of the interference you could probably make the case i'd say i'd be pretty confident that would be fine 
I know in, in um in, in greyhound racing dogs can get disqualified for fighting. It's not it's not a not an uncommon thing, you know. Um, but I, I'm pretty I, now clearly I'm just speculating. But I I'd say I'd say it would hold up under the wording now if it was like an extreme case like you describe. It happened at Bath the other day as well. It's sort of it's not that common, is it? But it's happened in quite quick succession. There were some great photos of a very tight finish at Bath. That, yeah, that that Bath one was quite tight, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, right. yeah, it was lovely. Just something. Just something. The, horse, the horses bought. bite back. Yeah, the horses bite back. I'm not having, by the way. I think there's an article floating around this whole thing about that. It's like a real will to win for the horse. He doesn't want the other lad to go past him. That's surely bollocks, isn't it, Kev? It's more um, just that. Man, it's just it's just aggression, isn't it? You know, like that. Ultimately, that's what winning is. I suppose it's asserting dominance, and um, yeah. The, you like I had a couple of I had a couple of people sneering at me there during the whole Grand National thing and I was speculating what might happen if you you would try to uh, release all the, the thoroughbreds into the rewilded countryside as our friends do um and I made the point that the colts would literally kill each other and yeah. um yeah if if you're questioning that lads make your way onto YouTube there and type in like stallions fighting or something like that out in the wild and you'll see like it's a pretty it's a pretty grisly spectacle now. They 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 can be extremely um, aggressive and, and quite terrifying when they're when they're in that sort of form. Um, mm. Prescott once told me that you know one of the big things you want in dogs, greyhounds, and horses, they've got to be jealous. The best ones are jealous because ultimately that's what helps them win. That jealous mentality. They just don't want the other horse to go past them. It's a jealousy thing. So they don't uh, get pissed off about being run over five furlongs when they're bred for a mile and a half, though. <laughs> 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 no, they don't mind that. You've got to find the jealous one. Ah, okay. Right, okay. <laughs> um, right, let's move on from all things modern games. And because she's already got a mention, we'll give Ladies Church a bit of a shout. Um, it's now 14 to 1 for the King Stand from 33s, one at Nace yesterday. Johnny Murta going great guns. And uh, Brendan, she has a similar profile, not really at all, but on the basis that the only thing similar actually between the 1000 Guineas winner, Morge, and her is this angle of, you know, being in Maidan and coming back and then relishing being back on the turf over here and that sort of feel good from the spring and a bit of sunshine. And she seems to have taken a step forward. Yes, well, well, definitely. I mean, uh, beating Moss Tucker three lengths. I mean, Moss Tucker, I, I suppose you could argue, is slightly more effective on deeper ground, but he has plenty of form on, on quick ground as well. And I mean, three lengths in a five furlong sprint. It was a devastating performance. First time cheek pieces. She's only had 12 runs. I suppose that... The, the, the little snag you could say about her is that she's thrown in the odd bad run as a, at Royal Ascot last year when fancy for a handicap and I mean thoughts and prayers with the lads who backed her off 98 there they they, they can feel <laughs> hard, hard done by and and she was she was a little bit disappointing in 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 May and the previous time but no surprise another it's like this is just great isn't it just Churchill's all the way and uh, no surprise she's another physical phenom by Churchill who's only had 12 runs she's probably just coming to herself physically and I could see a big run in the king stand incoming what is, it, what is it about these sprinters? Maybe we can tie it in with Highfield Princess and Azure View. I mean, some of the hot, most 
biggest punting hard luck stories must be about sprint handicappers in yes. their career, isn't it? Yeah. Well, exactly. Asia, Asia Blue beat Highfield Princess. Yeah, yeah. Azure Blue beat Highfield Princess. I mean, Highfield Princess famously got beat off 57. Uh, uh, yeah. And Azure Blue got beat last year off 78. Uh, you know, and considering, you know, the form they've gone on to since, he's absolutely staggering. I mean, it's something about sprint division. I mean, surely it doesn't happen that markedly in any other kind of like kind of like division, does it? Middle distance division. But anyway, just Kev, I is actually just pause that. on that. Kev, is there any reason for that? Do you think that? You well, know, it's look, the, mar- the margins are just smaller, aren't they? You know, everything is compressed, and like I think more so than than racing over longer distances. Like I think sprinting is something that they really do have to learn. And like, I think that's an example with Ladies Church, like and Azur Blue, who we'll get on to. Like, I think it just takes experience, like raw ability isn't really enough at the, the, the top level of sprinting. And that I think, it, especially with the younger ones coming through, like it just can take a season or maybe more just for them to put down what they have fully on track, you know, become efficient enough and 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 professional enough to do it. I think that's just my own also, theory. But- like- you can throw in a bit of physical conditioning as well, I guess, for those sprinters. You know, it just yeah, just getting strong, getting fully, fully strengthening up. Yeah, yeah just very that. quickly with ladies' church. Did did he mention after the race the first time sheet piece is making a difference? Or no, no I didn't I see him. him. Didn't did, see him do the that. interview. He said we've always thought she's a Group One filly, and all roads lead to the to, to the King's Stand. But I suppose there must be a reason they put them on her. Yeah. Um, Azur Blue, I mean, we've already kind of mentioned her, but as Tony said, sort of following a very similar path to that of the horse she beat in Highfield Princess in terms of being this improving sprinter. She's now two from two. The Highfield Princess put up a hell of a performance really under a penalty on day, on seasonal reappearance as well. They should meet again in the King's Stand, you would think. Um goes without saying that the obvious uh, low point of the race was the loss of creative force, which was very sad. But in terms of these sprinters, would you expect on that evidence, TC Highfield Princess to be turning the form around with Azur Blue, or is she the big improver that we haven't got to her ceiling yet? Yeah, on what we know, obviously Highfield Princess was carrying a five-pound penalty. On what we know, Highfield Princess, you know, with that run under a belt, you'd expect her to do that. But given the trajectory of Azur Blue, you know, this year's Highfield Princess, who knows? But yeah, I mean, if they if they met again next week. Highfield Princess would be a third of the price uh, that uh, Azure Blue would be. Um, let's stick with a couple of other horses that we should mention. Um, the Ascot Gold Cup market or sort of, yeah, market would have had a bit of a shake-up given the fact that we saw Emily Dickinson beaten in the Savile Beg Stakes. Um, they probably didn't, she probably didn't go hard enough for her own self, but I wonder how that dents her Gold Cup claims obviously Coltrane is the three to one favorite for that race but also we had the Yorkshire Cup up at York with Gio Valletta winning that but Eldar Eldaroff staking his claim as a top class stayer now as well so it's another division that's had a pretty decent shake-up this weekend in surprising ways I think it's fair to say Brendan Yes, uh, Emily Dickinson, very disappointing. I suppose you could say that her best form has has come on uh, softer ground, but she has run well. I mean, it, it, it was just a poor performance. It was, it, it was a muddling race, although I would give a shout out to the winner. I mean, this is just a Churchill loving, but that Yashin, even by the standards of, of Churchill's, he is an absolute unit. And I'd say he was in great demand. 
um, of, from, from the Hurdlem boys. But Jessie gave him a big shout out in her, her stable tour that they were really looking forward to him as he came to himself physically and she thought he was going to have a big season. Now, it, it'd be too soon for him. For He's not in uh, the Gold Cup, but, but it, for, for some of the cup races later in the year, I didn't think he got a particularly good ride. Now, he's inclined to be keen, but for some reason, he was keen in behind and Foley decided to take him three, ride, three wide. I thought he'd, he'd, he overcame a poor ride to win that day and Yashin is definitely one to look forward to uh, going forward. And as for... Edgar, I'll butcher that. Uh, the, go on, the, the go horse. again. Rewind. We'll uh, edit it out. We won't. No, no, the, 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 the horse who was second in the Yorkshire Cup, the uh, St. Leisure winner, um, I thought that was a very fine effort. Obviously, it comes out best horse at the weights. And I thought he just about should be favoured for the Gold Cup at this stage. Oh, over and above Coltrane. What to make of that yeah. statement, TC? Uh, yeah, I'd probably agree. The um, ah. one elder, elder off. Um, yeah, shaped very well under a penalty. Um, yeah, I mean, the, obviously, as people have said, the ledger form from last year just keeps on getting frank, doesn't it? Yeah, Giovaletto, uh, fourth there, uh, promoted to third. That obviously, that one, Haskell won as well at Newbury on Saturday. Yeah, and Emily Dickinson obviously went off two to five before beating there. She was fifth in the ledger. Yeah, the ledger looks very, very solid form. and the only one we haven't seen out of that was the third New London. Um, so I don't know where he is or he's been retired or whatever. But yeah, very strong form. And I would agree. I would, I would probably have Eldorado off as the Gold Cup favourite at this point. Big brute that is New London. Yeah, I don't know what's happened to him. Right, before we move on from the racing review section, does anyone have anything else they want to mention? Kev, have we missed anything that you'd like to give a shout to? Um. Boys. Just for me, if I knew yeah. he was going and I knew he was going to get decent ground, yeah. I was massively taken by uh, Mob. I'm going to, I'm going to butcher Go this on. like Brendan did. Mob Tavshire. Well done. Novice race under a five pound penalty. I thought he was wildly impressive. Blew out. Wait, what would training. you back? Which race? Sorry, because he's got entries Britannia, uh, St. James's Palace States. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Gosling's up in the air about it, but yeah. and obviously it all depends what handicap mark he gets tomorrow, I'd imagine. But uh, yeah, I think I thought he looked potential Group One class. He's a twelve to one for the St James's Palace Stakes, and but it sounds like he's fast ground dependent. And well, fair play to your to providing fast ground, by the way. Uh, yeah, Mob Tabshaw. I mean, I'll be I'll be looking at him against the likes of Chowdhury at Royal Ascot if he goes to Group One route. Nice. Do you think he'd have enough speed to drop back to seven for the Jersey, Brendan? If they chose to do that route, which seems unlikely, maybe. Um, yeah, but, I mean, he's been a he's been a promising horse. I'm not I'm not sure exactly. Uh, in, well, in two of his three runs, anyway. I'm not sure exactly what happened in Newmarket. Although Frankie did mention after Soul's sister that he thought some of Johnny Johnny G's horses were just under a little bit of a cloud at that time. So we give him a pass. The race kind of fell asunder a little bit, though, didn't it? I mean, he he got a soft lead. They went no gallop. They they were very keen in behind. I'm, I'm, I'm not gone on that form, but for all it's harsh to crib a horse who won by five lengths. When you bet fair on racing, you get daily rewards. So any day can be a big deal. Like with our racing multiples offer. So if you like to dabble in doubles or flirt with lucky 15s, get extra places on horse racing any day this week. Daily rewards with Betfair. We're not each way market only. Place part of each way bet. Settle a 1.5 odds. Selected UK and Ireland races. Season C supply. 18 plus. Begamblerware.org.
let's move on. I think that's racing review section done and dusted. And as I said at the top of the show, almost 50-50 in regards to the fact we've now got to move on to news, news, news. Um, it was on the front of, was it the Daily Mail this week? Derby protesters. We've discussed it at length already on this show in regards to if we have animal rights protesters at the Epsom Derby, how hard that is going to be from a security point of view due to the fact of the, you know, the way the track is built and the common ground around the track. Um, they've said that they're going to hit the Epsom Derby hard. Kev, it's only right we come to you, I suppose, for this. Um what now? What next? Does dialogue need to take place? Tom Marquand, I think, has come out and said that he's concerned about in terms of welfare of horses with these protesters on the track on a derby day. There's going to be lots of concerns leading up to the big race, whatever time it goes off. And I don't know what racing does from now until 1.30 on derby day to try and dilute this as much as possible. I, I think you have to be just really worried. Yeah, really yeah, worried. We are worried. Um, really worried because um, we've seen from Main Street that these lads can have a go. And it, 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 unfortunately, racing isn't a difficult thing to disrupt. Um, like I see the same crowd there have been staging sit ins at dairy farms and sit ins at. Um, steak restaurants around England and that in the last couple of weeks, same crack, you pink t-shirts, publicity stunts, donate now, blah, blah. Um, you'd just be really worried now because the Grand National was bad enough, but just with three-year-old Colts, Derby Day, like, it, it, it's really worrying. God, if you if you were stuck in one of the runners now for this race, geez, wouldn't you be, wouldn't you be in a knot? A much bigger than that than you would be in any circumstances. You know, this is, yeah, it, it's really concerning. Um, I, I'm sure, that, you know, everyone is on this as best they can be, but there's only so much you can do if there's enough of these of, of these um, extremists. Um, and if they, they, they if they're it's organized, you know, you, you would be really worried. So um, you just have to put your faith in the police because this is a, a criminal matter. Um, if they if they chose if they choose to try and disrupt the race and trespass and etc. Um, so yeah, just uh, kind of uh, pretty pretty worried about it now. To be really honest, I think we all are. Is there any scope and engaging in dialogue with these people to explain the danger to horse welfare on the day, Brendan? Or are these people who are too far past the point of discussion and you know normal human dialogue? Well, they, I mean, they're, they're, they're very much in an echo chamber. They're not one to, they, they won't want to come on and discuss th this with anyone. I mean, maybe, I suppose it will be a talking point in, in, in the lead up as it was with that uh, lady who was on, um, was it? Good morning, Britain. Of, good morning, Britain. Sorry, but uh, when the BHA weren't asked to send someone, they made, they made a point to send out. If you had that discussion and it was a back and forth, they, they, they would definitely watch it and they 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 would they, they they would talk to their people about whether we thought we won or not. But I I I'd be ninety nine percent sure they will say, "Oh, we won," because there's not when when you're dealing with ideologues, there's not really any opportunity or or, or any want uh, for people to play devil's advocate. 
They just want everyone on, on the same page. Horse race is wrong. Animal sports are wrong. The meat industry is wrong. And there will be no dissension. And if there's any dissension, you'll be ostracized. I, I think that's pretty much the way it works with Ideologue. So I don't know if, if it would be effective, but certainly if, if Good Morning Britain are going to have that lady on again, uh, I, I would hope that there would be someone on to, uh, from uh, the horse racing authorities to counter her. Yeah, I mean... I don't think if they are visible in these pink shirts, I think they will get. Honestly, I think they will get absolutely mullered if they try to pro, to, to to do something about it. The problem we've got is, as everyone knows, just the, the sheer expanse of that public land in the middle. Policing it is going to be impossible. I mean, you've got it's a, it's, it's a massive. If you want to get onto the track. It's, it's going to be very, very easy if they're, if they're cute about it. And I was thinking about this. The only way you can probably stop them from ducking under the, uh, the railings and actually get onto the courses, I think they've got to seriously actually think about putting a fence, uh, actually fencing the, the railings on, on the far side so you can't duck under the railings and doing something like that because it's impossible. You could, you could stick a thousand police there. And they, they can still get through. Mm. Um, you know, I, th- I think the mindset's going to be a little bit different this time. So I know certainly personally myself, before the Grand National, I, I didn't really believe that they'd have a proper go. I thought it was about talking about having a go and maybe making a, a token effort and getting all the publicity that comes with it. But the fact that they had a proper go, I think, changed a lot of people's mindsets. And I think the, the approach and the police approach and everything else, I think they'll be taking this. Not that they didn't take it seriously at entry, in fairness to them, they did a great job to deal with what happened, but I think there'll be efforts will be multiplied this time around, which is a positive. But um, yeah, it's pretty concerning and it's 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 sad that like such an important um event and such a cultural event, like it's been going on for hundreds of years, the, the build up is probably going to be the mainstream build up is probably going to be somewhat dominated by this. Um, and it's disappointing that, that like a crowd of like and I call them extremists, and I, I do that deliberately because when you when you familiarise yourself with their views, you know that's what they are. They're on the very, they're on the very edge of what, um, in terms of their beliefs of what normal people would consider normal, and um, that they're able to do this to make such an impact and get so much publicity for their cause by by but you know but a, a tiny number of people relatively. Like a hundred people, a couple of hundred people can 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 do this and have this impact on this huge event. Like it's very sad, and like I know around the coronation in the UK, like the the, the police like came down exceptionally hard on any potential disruptors that that were conspiring to to see some of the spotlight on that occasion. So I know this is uh, scale is important here, and the coronation is a much bigger deal than the derby, as much as we wish. And um, the opposite was the case, but hopefully. They come down very heavy handed on this and, and just cut it off at the knees because, um, yeah, the, the, there's a lot of scope for this to be an absolute mess, unfortunately. Anyway, it can't be as bad as last year when we let off fireworks, can it? <laughs> but, but people forget, like, it, it, it's, it's, it, it did slip under the radar a bit, but five or six people from this group got onto the track prior to the derby last year, there was such a kerfuffle around the fireworks that no one really noticed and it, like, it completely slipped by me. I didn't know what happened until, um, you know, around the Grand National, they got on the track and were pulled off before anyone really noticed. But, um, yeah, let's, let's see what happens. But I don't think it'll be for lack of preparation now for, from all involved. So let's hope that they're, they're good and efficient. And if, if there is an attempt, which we assume there will be of some sort, 
that they can cut it off at the knees and um, and stop it from disrupting this great race, this cultural event think, that we I also they, enjoy. I think this, they seriously have to consider fencing so you can't get under the railings. I really do. This conversation kind of leads on a little bit to another discussion point on our running order, which is the one show ditching a planned segment on racing recently. Um, this is off the back of the Grand National, the death in the Grand National, they were going to be doing a positive racing segment on the one show, which of course is watched on weekdays on BBC One by millions of people. It's um, a fun, lighthearted, relatively lighthearted programme on an afternoon, um, but it got plenty of eyes on it and racing was due a positive segment by all accounts. That has been ditched, which is more than disappointing really, Kevin, to hear I mean, is it fair that off the back of the national, you know, all good publicity gets ditched by a programme like that? I mean, it's obviously their prerogative. Well, no, of course not. But you look, it's the modern world. Like, it takes nothing for people to get windy um, about anything. Everyone's terrified of everything. Um, uh, cancel culture, blah, blah. Everyone's just terrified. There's, there's no, there's very little backbone around the world these days, is there? <laughs> Especially in the media. Um, so it, it's not surprising. It is disappointing. Um, hopefully it'll, it'll come back around and then um, they can do something positive because, uh, unfortunately in our, in our great game, it only seems to hit the mainstream for, for negative reasons. Um, uh, but look, that's, that's not something new. That's something that we've had to be put it put up with for an awful long time. It's probably not going to change anytime soon. So do I find myself crying in the streets about this particular story? No, but um, hopefully it comes around in due course. Cancel culture. This actually, I don't think, was out one of our agreed discussion points, Tony, but you did fire it in as a suggestion. The bloke over on TVG in America who's being cancelled because of his comments on Twitter. I was quite surprised by that. Who is it again? The name's... Uh, Ken Rudolph. That's it, yeah. Like um, long-standing TVG broadcaster, racing correspondent, and his Twitter comment was it that? No, no. Yeah. Just just coming back, just coming back to Lee's piece. It did make me laugh. I was it was sent round as a suggestion this morning, so I read the piece this morning, and I thought two words were missing out of that. You're talking about racing trying to broaden its appeal to a younger audience, and the one show. Two words were missing. Jermaine Genus. So he's, he's in Great British Racing's uh, good books there. Ken Rudolph. Now, I read that. And it's, a, it's it, no, it, it wasn't it wasn't that extreme. And for him to be taken off air and uh, investigations going on, I, I was very surprised. Because, but it's all about, oh, I should know this more than anybody else. You can't gauge tone on Twitter unless you use your, your emojis and your lols or whatever. He could have been making a a serious point in a jokey fashion, but we don't know the tone. We don't know how it was intended, but, and he did apologize for it, but yeah, I thought it was very hard for him to be taken off air on the back of that. Yeah. I think it's a little bit like the way things got get in this part of the world around the grand national, you know, you have all this extra scrutiny, extra mainstream scrutiny, lots of people chiming in that, that ignore a sport for the rest of the year. And like I, I read what he wrote and I know what he meant, but he, he probably just phrased it incorrectly. He, he essentially said, look, look, death as in racehorse death is part and parcel of the game. And, and we know that it is, unfortunately, but there is probably a more um, sympathetic way to phrase that 
especially when it's going to to a mainstream audience um like it clearly to me clearly a giant overreaction really um you, you'd feel sorry for the fella god knows we were all guilty of misphrasing and using the wrong words to say the right thing um <laughs> on occasion and um, like i say i don't think the 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 message the meaning of what he was saying was 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 all that wrong but um yeah he's he's got hammered for it but look i'm, I'm sure he'll be back uh, the storm does subside ken if you're listening i doubt you are but um, the people soon move on to the next um, subject of outrage and um, yeah. he can get back to to doing his job hopefully for him Brendan are you ever worried about being cancelled you know when you're on these shows and you make your comments and these statements do you ever get worried about being cancelled well no I, I, but I mean I don't have a lot to lose though do I but I have the show I enjoy this show don't get me wrong but if I didn't have this show it wouldn't be the end of the world. So I, 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 I'm glad for the platform, but I, I, I don't tend to um, self-censor at, at any time. So, I, yeah, I feel sorry for the guy. I mean, I've said this before that um, I actually like it when people come out and just say, look, you, you, you know, you have livestock, you get dead stock and don't dress it up. The worst thing, the, the thing that really drives me up the wall is people in race and something will happen and, and, they, and they'll tweet, gallop free in heaven, old friend. I think that's the worst thing in the world. You can't have it both ways. If you're a horse racing fan, you have to accept that horses will die doing this. They have very fragile legs amongst other other things and no one likes to see it. And it's important to remember that they're reducing the deaths all the time. Now, as someone's pointed out on, on, on Twitter, it's a tough sell to the public to say, oh, we're killing less horses than we used to. But I actually think, I still, I still think that should be the message. I, I say don't pander to them. That is a legitimate thing that, that they should be proud of, that the welfare is one of their top priorities and they're making the game safer. But we all have to be realistic about it. If, if, if you follow this sport like I do as a hobby, I can accept that this will happen. It's, it's in the news again. It was in the news again, wasn't it, with Bob Baffert? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Move you know. on to Bob Baffert, TC, yeah. then. Don, you can obviously win no, the Preakness with really. that treasure yeah. and then... He's lost the horse in the grade three earlier in the day. He wins the Preakness with National Treasure, obviously back in a in a Triple Crown winner's enclosure, essentially off after a two-year hiatus. It's been a tricky two years for him, given various allegations about him and his yard, and his stables and his horses. And, I mean, some people pointing to the irony of the horse being called National Treasure, given that some say he would not be that given what he's been through in racing in the last few years, TC? Yeah, I mean, he lost the horse. Like I said, he, he lost a grade grade two, grade one horse uh, the day before, didn't he? And he's just, just I was just, just flicking through Twitter about all the, the US racing people I, I follow. I do follow some of them. And they seem quite, they're quite pointed in, they're not happy with, with, with Baffert and, well, there was one, I think Ray Paulick come out and said, uh, Bob Baffert come out and said, look, you know, I've had no problems with a horse that uh, that died on the Friday. And some pointed comments from, I think Paulick come out and said, well, if he's going to be very open, let's get all these kind of like um, veterinary records since he come back from uh, Saudi Arabia in February, um, if you're going to be that open. So I think there's, I mean, I everyone knows my my stance on people like Bafford and Wesley Ward and stuff like that. So I'm probably the wrong person to ask you. But I was I was surprised reading on just on Twitter and some of the articles that are written that you know there are some people who are not fans of Bafford over there in the states as well. No, absolutely. Um, 
Whilst we're just on a, just on that broad on that broad subject, Vanessa, we don't have it in yeah. the running order, but just um like this this broad thing visited visited us here in Ireland only yesterday. Um, RTE ran a story, um, headline of which over one thousand racehorses died on tracks in the past decade, and this relates to Irish racing. Um, and they did a radio segment on it as well. Um. Uh, yesterday on RT, I, I thought I don't know where it came from. As a seemed to be, and look, the, the facts are the facts; those are the numbers. But it just seems a, a very odd time to pull this out and have this discussion in the same week as as we'll speak later. As the Deloitte report coming out, when there was plenty of, of good news that they could have dealt with with regard to Irish horse race, and they pulled this one out. Um, and the way it was, the way it was positioned, you know, the focus was on a thousand deaths rather than the. The fact that that those thousand deaths came over ten years from like three hundred and fifty thousand odd runners, um, it is an interesting question, or uh, I say interesting, to examine the comparative fatality rates in Irish racing compared to British racing. Um, they're a little bit higher in Irish racing, but to be honest, I, I know they're they're currently HRI and the IHRB are currently kind of deep diving into this to try and find the the whys and the hows. I strongly suspect it it'll, it'll correlate with field size. Um, you know, on average, like just just much much bigger fields in Ireland, and um, certainly when you're dealing with jump racing, faller rates um, correlate with field size. Um, I, I strongly suspect that that's what's behind that particular differential. But you're talking about point point three of a percent of runners versus point two of a percent. So you know you're you're splitting atoms as such. Um, I just thought it was a little bit. A little bit disappointing that they chose to. Um, no, I know you can never hide from the facts, but just timing wise, there there was so much good news this week, and they decided to to pull like an, an extremely negative um, story essentially and focus in on that in that particular week. I thought it was a little bit disappointing, personally. Yeah, well, you mentioned there that they've gone obviously run with a pretty negative headline there in regards to those deaths. But the big positive, as you say, is the Deloitte report that came out in Ireland this week that essentially the headline from this is that the racing industry in Ireland is worth 2.46 billion to the Irish economy, according to the report. And crucially, the big number here for me anyway, was that that is up 34% on seven years ago. Um, those are pretty big numbers, Brendan, and um, pretty good news for you over there on that side of the Irish Sea. What were your other takeaways from the Deloitte report? I think you have it spot on. The same people who did the report seven years ago, because you, you do have to be slightly sceptical about the numbers because it's it's part it's part of the game. It's like when they say how many jobs are created with with, with a certain thing. It, it can be that the Minister for Agriculture and the Minister for Tourism are both looking for a good news story and one person's job might be cut, fall under both of the reports. That, that are pr produced for them. The people who produce these reports know that they are looking for good news stories, but they don't inflate them ridiculously. Like, I'm not saying it's worth 2.34 billion. Maybe it's only worth actually 2 billion. But the fact is they would have used the same parameters from seven years ago, and it's up by a massive number. So, so, so I mean, this is great. I mean, this industry just... I, I, I mean, I, this gets me all the time. I suppose when, when you're in something, it's hard to realise, but people don't realise how lucky they are in Ireland that you can just tip down to Leopardstown or tip down to the Curra and see these horses that are either the best bred horse in the world or the most expensive horse in the world. They go all around the world representing the country. That's before you get into the bloodstock industry. Like we're tiny. We're, it's quite an industry to conquer. 
for 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 a small island for all that we have advantages in, in terms of soil and and traditions and, and what what have you so um yeah so I, I was delighted that long long live Irish racing long marvelous. live Irish racing Kev how how has that thirty four percent increase come about like where does that number come from what's the sort of fact behind that big increase. Yeah, well, look, the percentage increase is a really interesting one because, like, you have to remember that those seven years, like, included the two biggest challenges that that you know the Irish horse racing industry would have had in decades, you know, between Brexit and COVID nineteen, and they've still managed to to, to pump to that extent. Um, and, and Brendan's right, like that there are, you know, uh, we, we talked about the FAI report there a couple of weeks ago, um, that essentially was commissioned to poke at. Um, Irish horse racing and its funding and POCAF reports like this and um, like it, it, the Deloitte report is it's not the way I would have presented it personally you know you, the, the way they're doing it is they're taking a total of um, direct economic impact and um, economic impact in, in sectors that are kind of supported by and related to Irish horse racing and you'll always have accusations of, of stretching the numbers you know, one in the like, for example, in the employment figures, they they include um, all the employees in the Irish betting industry. We'll say, which which you, which you can justify, you know, to an extent, given that I think horse racing in the Irish betting industry is accounts for over fifty percent of turnover. Like, and ultimately, what business could you strip over half the turnover out of it and expect there to be no job losses or closures, etc.? So you can justify, but my point would be like, I think if you if you isolate like the direct benefit. Um, the numbers for the for those like they they read really well in themselves like in terms of the core industry racing and breeding um, nine thousand four hundred full time jobs you know one point um, two two billion in in economic activity like that's from that's from the undeniable indisputable core industry like those are giant numbers and I'd be personally think the industry should be more than happy to hang their hat on them in terms of the headlines by all means mention the the related by supported by um racing numbers later in the report but like I think there's an awful lot of positive reading in it um and that's just the frustration but it's like this is such a good news story um and that RTE chose to focus on, on that story yesterday it's frustrating because they were they were very quick as well to give plenty of attention to that FAI report that poked at racing's funding and here is the ultimate counter to that that illustrates just how good of an investment um Irish horse racing is for the Irish government and and they they, they did a story on it but the discussion and the focus point then a few days later is you know randomly on fatality rates in, in Irish racing like you just you you do wonder about who who sets that particular agenda there's a, there's a time and a place for every discussion and you certainly wouldn't be hiding from the fatality rate in Irish racing either but for the week that was in it you know the, the delight report and discussing that you know for me should have been the focus point if, if you're going to deal with the subject um but look re really good news um it's worth reading like look it's a long report it's 70 odd pages but um it, it's worth looking past the headlines and reading it yourself it's available online because you, you'd come away from it um, a lot more informed as to how the whole thing ticks in this country and just how how far it reaches and to the extent that it reaches it's um it's, it's some old game we have Vanessa we should be very proud of it 
We should indeed. You guys should be over there. Um, TC talked to me about the enhanced vet checks on lockage day at Newbury. This is the BHA are launching their enhanced pre-veterinary checks. They obviously they already do these um, enhanced checks at Aintree and Cheltenham, which essentially is the horse being trotted up and down in the stable yard for soundness legs checked and a heart check as well as far as i can tell uh, bha have now introduced it on lockage day so all the horses were checked pre-racing mm. i think they're next going to be at goodwood this week and then royal ascot and it looks as though it'll be something that funding will be put towards so eventually where they are these vet checks take place at every race meeting um it's obviously a big additional cost but it's something that can only be a positive surely tc yeah um, very much so. I mean, it's obviously it's a it's a PR exercise in in one respect, but it, it's a necessary one, isn't it? Because you want to do everything you do to counter the stories that Archie ran with uh, over the weekend, and you know this is a, this is another example. And obviously, it's coming on the back of two fatalities on on Wednesday uh, at York, one of which was coming off the back of a, a near two year absence. So, anything you can to do to minimise the bad publicity after the inevitable kind of like equine deaths uh, on the racetrack is got to be a good thing. I mean, I was looking at uh, the non-runners on, on Saturday and I'm sure I saw uh, a, a reason given on the BHA website that I've never seen before when triple time came out of the lockage. I'm sure it said something like veterinary VO or something like that. And so I don't know whether that was the first one has been pulled out on the back of these checks. Uh, there's no, as far as I can see, there's no way of going back and checking the actual reason given. I actually clicked on the horse on the Racing Post website and it doesn't mention the fact that he was actually pulled out. So not when I looked anyway. So I don't know whether triple time was the first horse to be pulled out on the back of these increased checks. But no, it clearly can't be a bad thing, can it? Well, maybe someone can answer that for us because I was sure that I read somewhere that all horses pass these enhanced checks. Yeah, I, it was in the Lee Mottisett piece that backed up with that um, the the uh, the um, one show story. But like I said, when I checked on that, there was a reason given for triple time that I've never seen before on the website. But I've got no I've got no recourse to actually go and check that. Okay, let's uh, move on because time is running out. I know our listeners get frustrated when I say that, but I am under the cosh from our substitute teacher in Kieran O'Connor. Blame him. Uh, TC, quick mention to Bradley Roberts, who's got a ban, the jockey, 14-day ban, and disqualified after taking the wrong course with fences omitted at Utoxta. It wasn't necessarily clear, and he went the wrong side of a small bit of railings. Is this a big story or not? Can we just move on? No, took the wrong course, got 14 days, probably fair, move on. Okay. Mm, there, there was a lot going on, in fairness, too. Was, I didn't watch the Can video. It? Just, Chaos. Uh, Chaos. I mean, I, I had to watch it with sunglasses for a start. How bright was it in Utah there? And then there's checkered flags all over the place. Now, at the end of the day, he went the same way. He went the correct way on the first circuit, so he should have known better. It's probably a non-story, but Jesus, that was that was a tough watch. It was chaotic. Loose horses, emitted fences, yeah. done yeah. everywhere, flags, carnage. And he's an inexperienced lad, so we can forgive him, but he's got his 14 days and he's happy to take his medicine by all accounts. Last thing to mention is the independent race courses here in Britain who are going to, well, are talking about raising the prospect of legal action unless the BHA accepts the olive branch over this premierization policy. This is in regards to fixtures on Saturdays. 
BHA suggesting a cutback on these smaller tracks on their Saturday afternoon fixtures. We've been here before, TC, all about, you mm. know, looking at the sport as a wider picture. And some people, you know, they're going to have to break eggshells to make an omelette. That's been that term has been wheeled out a few times. Um, but the smaller tracks are not going to be happy if they're the ones being sacrificed in relation to everyone having to pull together, I suppose. Um What's what's the story here? What do you want to add? Uh, not really. I can see both sides of it. Um, a lot of people saying, you know, people if people are getting six, seven, eight thousand on a Saturday, you know, why should they have to give that up? Because you know, sport is all about spectators, isn't it? So the the only way around that I can see is, uh, and I've said this before, so it's nothing new, is that just take them off. Let these let these fixtures race, but take them off the TV. For example, if racing TV want to cover three of the seven fixtures on a Saturday afternoon, let them do that. Put it behind a red button, put it on racing TV extra uh, and make people go and find it. Just use the TV to premierize the best racing of that day. But obviously the downside of that is I, I was meant to look into it this morning, but I didn't have time. I imagine if they're not, these courses aren't on these courses races aren't on the main channel and they're just behind a red button or online streaming or whatever that might affect the media right payments. Um, so there's no easy answer here. If the BHA are going ahead and do it, there's going to be court cases and it could well drag on. But the only, only way around it I can see is just don't televise the meetings um, that are going to be premierized. Mm, interesting. Last, last topic before we wrap up the show just a very quick mention kev i think for the john dance horses um there's a statement from the bha this morning so that's monday morning that the ownership of the john dance horses that are with james horton have now been transferred into coverdale stud ownership a syndicate in brackets i think it is officially um, this is surely a positive for James Horton in the sense that this must be a big step in the right direction to get his horses back on back on track. Literally, yeah, exactly. Um, will, will have been a, a big relief there that they seem to have come to some sort of a of a temporary um, a temporary um, means to, to to get them back racing. Um, I think they they've essentially allowed because the issue was John Dance's money was kind of frozen. Um, as this investigation from the from the, the FCA is carried out, they've unfrozen enough money to keep the horses rolling, basically, and will allow them to run um, for James Horton under a different name, as you mentioned, um, and that's fantastic. Look, I think any prize money won is going will be frozen, etc. But at least it'll allow James Horton and his team to get back racing and carry on. And uh, let those horses run because it's it certainly this whole situation certainly isn't James Horton's fault. It's definitely not his horse's fault. Um, and look, time will reveal um, the, the full details uh, of what has gone on with John Dance, if anything. Um, but look, it, it'll be great for, for James Horton to get back on track because he did um, he did make a super start to his career. This would have been a very difficult period for him and will continue to be um, an uncertain future. But at least uh, today he'll be able to get back to, to doing his job and, um, and hopefully having plenty of winners. Just, just a nod on this story. There's a young journalist I've never heard of him before. So I don't know why it came to my attention on Saturday night. A, a guy called Dan Bryden spotted this. I, I touched base with him yesterday morning and I was going to use his observations because he 
he saw on we went on the BHA site and saw that the there was some two-year-old being put in Coverdale Studs uh, ownership. So he spotted the story on Saturday. So uh, well done to him for being a couple of days ahead of everybody else on that story. But it'd be interesting to see if if, if Horton has any runners at Royal Ascot, whether John Dance is going to turn up. That the BHA absolutely zero chance at a match. As far as I'm aware, the BHA haven't banned him for, from going racing, have they? No, yeah, I'd be, I, I'd make it, I'd make it a big price, but time will tell. Time will tell. Um, on that note, it's a goodbye from us, TC, Brandon, Kevin. Thank you very much. As always, we will be back later in the week with Racing Any Better, of course. But for now, that was weighed in. Have a good week. Enjoy yourselves. Goodbye from us. <laughs>